Hello, you're listening to an episode of Tom and His Interviews. Um, firm favourite being interviewed here, it's Joe Craig. You will definitely, if you've subscribed to my podcast, have heard his voice before. Um, this time I'm visiting him on what was meant to be a very specific mission talking about creativity for the Arts Award Voice podcast. More details on that at the end of this um, interview. But um, I haven't really had time to structure the question, so I went in there with my usual half conceived questions and um yeah the interview ended up going on for over like an hour and a half but i've cut out like some of the stuff so hopefully it will be just pure joe talk um concise maybe isn't the word but yeah hopefully it will be enjoyable for you and i will see you on the other side hi joe hi again it's been a year since i've been in your house now welcome Um, back that you know of and (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah and like we're we're back now to talk about creativity brilliant um but before we start just like how are you and how are things going i'm very well think things are good i'm a bit concerned that we haven't dived into the biscuits yet i think that's probably the first first port of call first first order of business first priority yeah rip them open come on yeah i'm not gonna do all the work here okay right i'll do all the work you just Drink yeah. your oolong and... Yes. Uh, drink oolong. And eat biscuits. Things and on and oolong. Yeah. that brings us nicely to creativity. Creativity. Yeah, I'll, certain things. I'll take a couple. Thanks. For the for the listeners here who don't know who you are, which mm-hmm. there, there can't be that many left, because honestly, <laughs> you are like a firm favourite of mine, and Arsenal, we just love having you. Cool, thank you. It's really about. great to be involved. Yeah, and um, having you on board. Quickly just sort of give us like a 30 second introductionary speech. I'm Joe Craig. I'm an author, mainly, and screenwriter. My main thing has been, over the last few years, to write the Jimmy Coates series, which are action thrillers usually described as the born identity for kids. That's the, the general pitch of, of how I've kept myself busy for the last few years. I'm going to dive straight in here, because you just mentioned screenwriting, yeah. and I don't think you've really ever mentioned that in the last couple of times we've spoken. We, we talked about it a lot last time. We spoke time. about it, like, a bit, but you were somewhat elusive with what you were up to because um... <laughs> well I've been working on on a movie and generally developing ideas for for screenplays I really enjoy writing screenplays it's in some ways very similar to writing novels in some ways slightly different and this is getting into things like story structure and the mechanics of writing but the way that I plan a story and I plan a story very carefully works for whatever format I'm, I'm then writing it into so I'll I'll plot the story out usually thinking about it in three acts to start with where are the act climaxes? Uh, where are the ups and downs? How's the tension developed through the story? That kind of thing. And then whether it's going to be for a screenplay or for a, for a novel, what I have is a, a in my study back there, I've got three pin boards and each pin board is for a different story that I'm working on and I'll use cards and pin them up on the board to work out what the structure of the story is scene by scene, a blow by blow account of everything that's going to happen. The advantage of writing a screenplay and the thing that makes it quicker and I suppose in a way more fun, well I say that with reservations than writing a book, is that when you actually sit down to write it, you don't have to hide things in description. If I'm writing a scene in a Jimmy Coates book and there are certain elements that I need to be there for the plot to work, I've got to drop them in in a way that's disguised, I suppose, so the reader doesn't say, all right, that's an obvious plot thing that's coming up later. Like if Jimmy walks into a room and I know that at the end of the scene he's going to have to use certain things that are there to escape some kind of attack like a biscuit or a mug or a broom 
then in a book I'd have to dress up those elements and disguise them in a general description. A general description is always quite dull. Whereas in a movie script, I can just write, there's a biscuit, a mug, and a broom. And I can get on with the story. Mm. So that makes it easier and, and quicker in a way. It, you can strip it back to the pure mechanics of the story you're trying to tell. Okay, so there's almost like a, um, like I hesitate to use the word scientific, but a really methodical and... It's definitely methodical. It, I, I've seen it described elsewhere as engineering. I know nothing about engineering, so I've no idea whether it is like engineering or building things. But that's how it feels. It's much more a craft and a problem-solving exercise than it is a sort of ethereal, creative soup. Mm. Just swirling around and ideas hitting you or swimming into your mind. You might start with that, but even then I move on from that very quickly because you need to not just be coming up with any old general ideas, but to be focused in some way so you know what you're trying to come up with and you're playing around with different things um, that might take you in all sorts of other directions but to just think in an unfocused way unstructured way I think is less productive okay so thinking is less productive than doing hmm I think it depends how you think well I ask because I know that you studied philosophy mm. so uh... <laughs> I know there are certain things that will help spur creative thought and it might be different for each person I know other writers who take a walk to get creative thought going and to try to come up with ideas based on what they see in the world or just to get the blood flowing around their brain that doesn't work for me if I take a walk I can't think of anything but walking around especially if I'm walking the dog <laughs> uh, other people will take a bath other people will uh, I've got a writer friend who basically comes up with everything in the bath and the, the solution to all problems is bath. in a soapy bucket of water uh, for me, walks don't help, baths don't help. I discovered a few years ago that I like to fiddle with things. I like to have my hands active in order for me to be able to think anything up. But that usually means a pen and doodling or jotting down the notes of things that I'm thinking about. Or it can be typing. Uh, but really, I'm... And I use that. So if I'm stuck on anything, I just make sure I'm jotting things down or I'm doodling or I'm playing with a fidgety thing. Whatever device or trick it is that helps you think more freely, that really helps if you work out what it is about yourself. So that's a personal Discovery. thing, but for me, I've found that fiddling with something in my hands has a direct connection to the bit of my brain that I need to be active and then that I need to be pushing and exploring in order to be able to come up with any ideas about any it ideas or solutions too. to problems. Is this similarly true of the music you write? I suppose the difference with music would be that usually you're sitting at an instrument. Uh, maybe that's something to do with why I need to be fiddling with something to come up with story ideas and to help with writing. If I'm working on a song, I will often be working on a song away from the instrument, and that's quite a good way of starting off, because that means that you're not ruled by where your fingers naturally go, mm. so you can think of different paths and different musical corners. Um, but then I'll be jotting things down with a with a pen and paper, so my hands will be active. If I'm at the piano, then obviously my hands are on the keyboard and I'm exploring with my fingers. It is, in some ways, dangerous to do that because, as I said, your fingers will lead you in directions that are comfortable. They'll, they'll take you where you've been before. Mm. You have certain progressions, certain transitions, where your hands will just naturally go through muscle memory or through things that you've played before, and that can work out nicely. 
or it can just restrict you and mean that you're not pushing into new things. So um, some of the best, sort of, well, I wouldn't say best, but some of my favourite moments in some of my songs are moments where I hit wrong chords or I thought my hands were acting on autopilot and I just made a mistake mm. and discovered something new and went, oh, actually, I can use that yeah. for a bit of the song. Do you start with the lyrics then or do you start with the actual... They come together, really, in a sort of bouncing back and forth way or there'll be one moment where a lyrical phrase comes with its own melody and I can't separate them and then I'll build up everything else around it. Usually by the time I'm working on second verse, I've got the music nailed to first verse and chorus and then I'm just filling in lyrics after that. So it it is different to a certain extent with each song, but I I don't ever strip them apart completely. I don't ever sit down and write lyrics, and then or just sit down and write music and then fill in lyrics later. The music will only grow out of some lyrical thought that I've got or a concept that I want to pursue or even mm. a phrase or a word. I think I did once challenge myself to do a set of lyrics first and then set the music to it. That's a nice way to make a different, yeah. have a different approach and try something new. Uh, it's not the natural way that I would do it. The way that I started off writing songs, at least when I started doing it professionally straight after university, was writing music for other people's lyrics. Especially when I wrote musical theatre, I, I wasn't writing the plays and the lyrics that went with the music, that, yeah. with these musicals. I was working with very talented writers who came up with the story and the concept and put everything together. They wrote the lyrics and then sent them to me when the lyrics were, as far as they could see, done. Mm. And I worked on them to, to create the songs and create the music. I usually rejigged and restructured the lyrics to a certain extent, but I didn't really, I didn't change. add anything myself. I didn't change things inherently. I just moulded them to suit what I felt like the structure of the song should be. Why did you move out of that area then of writing music professionally? Was it the fact that you were having to tailor to other people's words? Um, it was partly because I wanted to move more into writing pop songs than writing musical theatre. And I'd got into this, not, it, it wasn't a rut, it, because for some people writing musical theatre is, is a dream and that's what they want to do. But for me it wasn't quite what I'd always aspired to do and, and it re- didn't really suit my natural musical tendencies. I'd like to give it another go at some point, but really what I wanted to do was write pop songs. So I took some time away from theatre projects and I, I turned down a thing that I could have done to, to work on that and to make demos and, and do that, which meant I was spending more time at home, started reading more, read a little bit more about general creativity and I was always interested in that area and I was interested in stories, I was interested in the structure of stories and movies especially. Uh, There's a book called Story by Robert McKee and if you read Harry Potter then see The Bourne Identity and then read Story by Robert McKee it's impossible not to come up with the idea for the Jimmy Coates books. So those things happening in quick succession meant that it was inevitable that I create Jimmy Coates, Jimmy Coates. Okay. and once I had the germ of that idea I didn't want to waste it so I had to develop it, build it, work on it, which took time. But I was never in a position of having to give up a proper job to write a book so I was quite lucky in that respect. The lifestyle of a writer is quite similar to the lifestyle of a musician so I was already doing it. <laughs> Dossing at home. I was already at home I doing it when I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't such a huge leap to spend a few hours a day writing a book rather than writing songs. I was writing songs at the same time as well, but gradually one took over from the other. 
writing a book takes total immersion. You need to be completely in that world. So the more I got into writing the book, the harder it was to write songs. I can't really explain why, except to say that all of my creative energy and focus was developing that world in my head and in my notes. And every thought was to do with how to build that story and make that story work. And then ultimately to get the words on the page and to type that out. So over the course of a few months, I weaned away from writing songs and onto finishing my first book. And then it went on from there that once I had it, I didn't want to waste it. So I sent it off to find out if it was any good. Mm. And it went from there. Switching to the book. Um, so you'd written your first book. You'd sort of yeah. given up writing songs for the time being. Not, Not intentionally, up, but it yeah. just sort of just <clears throat> faded away for the time being. Yeah. Who did you send it off to? How did you send... Did you just send it to publishers to see... What Initially, I didn't send the whole thing off. I didn't finish the whole thing because I didn't, didn't want to waste a year writing it if it was rubbish. Mm. So I just had the first two chapters. Three chapters? Two chapters? Can't remember. I had a couple of chapters... And I sent that off to a woman who specialised in children's books. She was an agent. She'd uh, founded her own agency, specialises in specialising in kids' books. And I sent it to her, asking, should I bother carrying on with the rest of this, or should I give it up and stick to music? And she was really encouraging and supportive. She ultimately became my agent and helped me edit all of my books, but particularly that first one. And she follow the leads to, to publishers and that's what got me the deal but initially I just send it to that agent Is there a creative sort of dichotomy between writing music and writing books and screenplays are mm. the two creative processes like significantly different so if you can do one you can do the other or are they worlds apart? There are superficial differences writing a song takes an hour writing a book takes six months at least mm. writing a screenplay takes several weeks and you might have to go through several drafts so that builds up to several months as well. So there's a time difference. The depth of focus and intensity is the same for each one. With a song, I feel like you can rely more on happy accident, which you can't really do with your writing a book. Mm. But the feeling of the process is similar. So underlying all of those things, the fundamental approach that I take is very similar, particularly using the balance between guts and brains, or instinct and intellect, so that you're not worrying about how good something is when you're initially working on a first version of it and then you go back to it later and make it good so a first draft can be rubbish your first version of a song can just be bashed out roughly mm. and then you go back to it and hone it and craft it challenge everything in it and totally revise it and I do that much better with books personally than I do with songs I'm much better at doing that with a story because I find that more fun with a story than with a song with a song I always felt like there was some perfect version that I was trying to discover and the process of writing a song was pushing thick moss off a big <laughs> slab of unchangeable engraved stone and that was the song and once mm. I discovered it I couldn't change it because that was correct that yeah. was the right version of the song I don't think really that was right I think I should rewrite those songs more and change them more with a book I've never felt like there is a correct version. I've just always felt like I'm trying to improve it and make it better with each rewrite that I do. And I challenge every single word in it much more effectively than I do when I'm writing a song. Have you had any experience before the first Jimmy Coates book of actually writing stories? Or was this just like, I'm going to write a book? 
Um, <laughs> I had, uh, and I don't really talk about this much. Ooh, um, this is even better. Yeah. Um, I always said that, oh, Jimmy Curtis was the first thing that I tried to write. Yeah. That's not strictly true. On my year off, between, <laughs> you look quite sheepish. between school and uni, uh, well, I haven't really admitted this to, to many people before, certainly not in a, any kind of public mm. broadcast or anything like that. Um, Excuse But on my year off between school and uni, I took the year to write music. I said I wasn't going to travel anywhere, I was going to stay at home and write a musical, which I did, and I was going to write songs, which I did, and that was great, and make demos. But at the same time, I started working on an idea for a story. And it wasn't so much an idea for a story, it was just the idea of writing a story appealed to me. That I had this computer, didn't have anything to do with it, but I liked that feeling of having my fingers on the keyboard. And again, I think that's a lot to do with the connection between my fingers and the creative bit of my brain. Yeah. So it felt good to be exploring that. So I bashed out story stuff. I never worked on short stories. I, I was never very good at doing the short pieces that you're meant to start with or, or stories. I don't even remember writing stories at school, really, except for one or two. But I read that Frederick Forsyth wrote The Day of the Jackal by writing 2,000 words a day. And I realised that I had this year at home. If I wrote 2,000 words a day, I could write a book. <laughs> so I sat down and developed little quirky ideas into 2,000 words a day of utter gibberish and finished a shortish book that didn't make any sense okay. but it was really fun to do it and it had some kind as I went along I was fumbling through it and uh, worked out some kind of concept I was very influenced by what I was reading at the time which were slightly more experimental stuff. I was very influenced by Titus Grown, actually, Mervyn Peake book, which is a brilliant, long, rambling, epic, gothic fantasy and with with lots of flowery, beautifully done language uh, and lots of complex sentences that go off in different directions that you don't expect and bonkers characters. And I was kind of imitating that a little bit and at the same time imitating Paul Oster I just read the New York Trilogy, which is, again, a brilliant book, but not a standard, normal, tell-a-story novel. So I was going in that sort of odd, rambling direction of Titus <laughs> Growing while also trying to be deep and meaningful meaningful, yeah. and, and have slightly more interesting connections between things like Paul Oster does. Um, so I finished a book, and then I finished that and realised that it was rubbish. I thought, oh, but that was quite fun doing 2,000 words a day. Let's see if I can keep doing it. And while I'd been working on that, I'd come up with a different idea. So I started writing that and did that for a bit, and then I started writing another one. So in the course of that year, I finished three stories. The important thing was that I finished them. <laughs> they were terrible, but I did start them. I wrote 2,000 words a day, and I finished them and that felt really good. I knew they weren't any good. I knew they'd take a lot of rewriting. I still plan to go back to one of them, which I think has something interesting about it that I'd like to totally rewrite and make into something good. But it meant that years later, when I came up with the idea for Jimmy Coates, which was a much more robust, more, more straightforward, more immediately engaging idea than anything else I'd come up with before, mm. it felt 
very accessible to me to sit down and write 2,000 words a day. The idea of finishing a novel didn't intimidate me. I'd done it three times before to write dreadful things that no one will ever read. No one will ever read. Yeah, probably. Is that a, yeah. That's a definite. Uh, well, I'm not showing it to anybody. So. <laughs> uh, but it was really good to have gone through that experience and to know that I could sit down every day and write 2,000 words if I had a story to tell. Mm. So I did. And that meant that I got my first book finished quite quickly. My first proper book, Jimmy Coates. Jimmy Coates, yeah. Yeah. Very, that's a very structured and methodical sort of approach to things. Yeah, the difference Again. was that I planned it much better. I planned okay. Jimmy Coates much better than anything else I'd written before, where I was feeling my way through, and I had a general concept and a direction. I knew what was going to happen at the end, but I hadn't really worked out how to make the, the middle interesting. Mm. With Jimmy Coates, I planned it out much more carefully, and have planned each book more methodically and in more detail than each book previous. So the latest book was much more meticulously planned than any of the others. Mm, so, and I think that makes it a better book. I think Jimmy Coates Blackout is probably the one I'm most proud of. I've got better at writing and I think the plotting is better as well. Certainly the plot is more developed and more intricate. Jimmy Coates Killer, the first book, works really well and I like it, but it's a more direct story. Mm. Why, uh, well, I suppose, why don't you just publish these long nonsensical writings under a different name why does everything that people like, write have to be published because it's an, it was an exercise it's a trial it a... like it's just a test to see whether or not like if market tastes have changed perhaps or whether or not you could be breaking new ground oh no know? I'm not even talking I'm not talking about things that are bad because they don't suit the market I'm just talking about things that are bad just, just bad yeah just bad and that's fine things are meant to be bad sometimes the first thing you write will be bad Fact. that's great that's yeah. the idea and use that to free you up and enable you to write whatever you want to do and have fun and then play with it, enjoy it. Yeah, so I'm not just going to put them out under, under anybody's name. That would be... Anyone's. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you're not, not going to abuse your name and put them out. There's a couple of things that I liked about them and I still think the concepts were good and interesting, but I didn't develop them properly or tell the story well. I didn't really know the importance of just telling a story mm. but it doesn't matter how fancily you do it yeah it doesn't really matter if you're trying to break new ground conceptually you can do that brilliant as long as you're telling a story mm. but that's the fundamental thing that it comes down to and I think I learned that by doing Jimmy Coates and by making sure every line of every book in the Jimmy Coates series tells the story there's no yeah, long no, yeah no slack yeah no, yeah. Oh, I wish Dan Brown would learn to do that. Well, he's very good at telling a story. Oh, he's good at telling a story, but so much description. That's his appeal. It's yeah. He puts the description mm. in so that he can call himself an author, and so that you know he can consider it a book. And that's what some people like. Some people like some people who don't read a huge amount, especially, will pick up a book and feel like they're engaging in something more worthy, more literary, and that they're maybe learning something and they can enjoy it more and feel good about themselves. If there's a bit of clunky description every now and again. <laughs> I'd rather just have the stripped back plot and <laughs> that almost almost sounded a little bit um snide. No, I don't, I don't mean to be snide. I mean, I don't think Dan Brown would claim to be the greatest literary writer the world has ever seen. I just think he's a brilliant storyteller, and that's his appeal and why he sells millions and millions of books. All of the people who sell millions and millions big numbers yeah. are the really good storytellers, and no one's going going to them for beautiful literary moments no one's expecting that of any of the people who sell 
in huge numbers. We go to those people for the brilliant stories they tell and the way they tell them. Have you and I say that with admiration, I, not okay. in any way seeking to put them down. I, see, I, I say that wanting, that's what I'm aspiring to do. I'm trying deliberately to remove anything from my writing that might be considered literary or fancy or beautiful use of language or any of that. If you spot that, then it means you're not paying attention to the story. And I've done it wrong because it sticks out and takes you out of the world that I want you to be in. I don't want you to notice a beautiful phrase or an elegant piece of description. Mm. If I worked really hard, I could do that. Yeah. And sometimes I find myself trying to push that in to show that I can. And then I just cut it out when I rewrite it because I want to strip it back and tell the story in the most direct and immediate and powerful way that I can. Can you, Is there no way of doing both? Yeah, you can just... try both. Yeah. yeah, I mean, very few people are capable of doing both. That's why I love Nabokov, because he does both. Every single sentence of Nabokov is beautifully constructed and phrased and elegant and a wonderful bit of art in itself. Yet at the same time, it tells the story and it commands your attention and means that you have to continue reading to find out what's going to happen. I suppose Shakespeare does that as well, you know, in a different way, that you've got the beautiful language as well as the good storytelling. Just to finish on Dan Brown, I just like your yeah. personal opinion. Have you read his latest book? No, I've only read The Da Vinci Code. That's it? Yeah. Just the one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I read The Da Vinci Code when a friend gave it to me before there was loads of attention given to it, before it was as huge as it became. And I thought it was really fun. It was a good thriller. Um, But I found that at certain moments it didn't totally grab me because I felt like I was ahead of the characters. Some people like that. And I think there's a lot of appeal in that if you make the reader feel like they're smarter than the person in the book. (laughs) I prefer it the other way around. I like the character to be smarter than me and leading me on a journey. Yeah. The, the The one thing that made me not read another Dan Brown book was the moment in The Da Vinci Code when these characters who are meant to be experts in their field and brilliant people to do with the arts and history were, were fascinated and mystified by what was very obviously backwards writing as soon as you looked at it. So that was, yeah. There's one moment where they're trying to decipher this impenetrable code and anyone who looks at it just because <laughs> well, you've just written something backwards, put it in a mirror. So, yeah, that was... And that was a problem they solved in the film because in the film they look at it and they realise it immediately. Mm. So whoever did the movie, the director or the screenwriter, felt the same. There's no point hanging around while they decipher this impenetrable code. They can just see it. Mm. So, but I like the structure of the Da Vinci Code. It's very clear. It's very strong structurally. Mm. I don't think it's as good as anything by Robert Ludlum, who's my favourite thriller writer. I haven't yet found anything in Robert Ludlum that has annoyed me the same way that the backwards writing thing annoyed me in the in the Dan yeah. Brown book. So the rest of the Da Vinci Code I really liked mm. in general, apart from the odd clunky bit of writing. But like I said, he's, I'm not going to someone like that for mm. beautiful writing. I'm going for a good story. I think Robert, Ludlum's the, Robert Ludlum is the same. I think he's a brilliant plotter and structures a story in such a way as to create most tension and most excitement. So I like him for that. I think he's a brilliant thriller writer. Sadly dead. Oh. But, you know. Fair <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> he wrote a lot of books, though. He wrote 30-something books. Oh. While he was alive. Hmm. And they keep bringing new books out under his name. How? By other authors. So. Okay. What? 
general concepts he came up with characters they do more, they do new Jason Bourne books by other thriller, thriller oh, writers a bit like the um, Hitchhiker's Guide book have they done new ones of those yeah Ellen well? um, Colvin oh yes of course Colfer. yeah yeah Ellen Colvin wrote another one yeah Not Anthony really. Horowitz has done new Sherlock Holmes uh, Sebastian Folks has done new P.G. Woodhouse books uh, or one at least mm. that kind of thing I think he's done a new Bond as well James Bond I just said Bond, James Bond. Bond. Inadvertently. Well done. Thanks. That's a soundbite. Um, so which do you go, to, like generally speaking, when you're reading a book? Do you go for the beautiful writing? What I'm reading? Reading that out, yeah. Or do, we, do you go for the great storytelling? I try to mix it up. I alternate. Mm. I actually alternate. I have, well... Piles of books? Yeah, I have a pile of thrillers and I have shelves of books that are not thrillers. They're more literary or... Uh, other kinds of books, other genres, and then I've also got a pile of non-fiction, and I go from one pile to the other. Sometimes I've got different books on the go at once, in different rooms. In different rooms? Yeah, it's good to have a book in each room, because then you've always got something handy to read. Okay. So I've usually got a book that I'm reading in my study, and I've got a book in the bedroom, and usually I'll bring the book in the bedroom into the living room when I get up, or I'll just have something else in the living room. Okay. There's a book in the bathroom that I'm halfway through. It yeah. takes longer to read each one, but yeah, means you've always got something to read. Um, so what are you reading at the minute? Uh, at the minute I'm reading this, The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. I'm about a third of the way through. It's really good. Enjoying that very much. Uh, I'm also reading Posse Pants, the Tina Fey autobiography. That's in the bathroom. Oh, and I've just started I Predict a Riot by Catherine Bruton. I'm just starting so uh, that's that's a, a YA thing so I don't often read a lot of YA or kids stuff unless I'm reviewing it um, but it's nice to mix it up and have an adult book and a, a book for teens on the go at the same time as well mm. when you're reviewing um, books like specifically YA mm -hmm. um, I remember last time you saying you're trying not to because it, you don't want to potentially get influenced or uh, yeah accidentally but when you're reviewing it do you uh, like have you ever said this book is rubbish like um, I can't imagine no that I wouldn't if the case if I really don't like it mm. then it usually means I can't get through it and if I can't get through it then can't I shouldn't be reviewing it. it yeah so I'll just not review it okay usually the review stuff that I do is picking the best things for a list or a selection so then it's easy just to not include things you don't like. You're just mm. picking out your favourites, which is a much more positive way to be asked to do it. So I like that. Um, well, so you're sent a list of books and then you can say, I'll review that, that and that. No, you're asked, could you pick 10 books to go on this list of recommended reads for the summer or something like that. Okay. So then you can just pick out the things you like best that have come out lately. That's I mean, cool. Yeah, it means you don't have to struggle through anything you don't like. Um, there's loads of good stuff out there but yeah as I said before I don't I don't feel like I can read everything all the YA and kids stuff I don't feel like I want to because first of all I'm an adult so I want to leave loads of time to, to read stuff that's yeah. for me and that I really enjoy there's a lot of YA stuff that is good for adults to read as well and kids stuff um, I think it gets tricky yeah, I think it's just what I said before. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I'm influenced by it too strongly, or that I'm imitating it, or that I'm 
following any kind of trend. I don't really, uh, it doesn't appeal to me. I want to be able to take all of these things in, all of the different books of all the different genres, all the movies and the world and things that happen, and then whiz them about in my own head and tell a story that I want to tell. You mentioned non non-fiction. Yeah. What kind of things are you interested in in that regard? Oh, all sorts. Um, the last non-fiction I read is right here. Stealing the Mystic Lamb by Noah Charney. That's a sort of history of art and art theft book, and that was fascinating. Uh, I, one of my favourite books of any type uh, is The Prize by Daniel Yergin, which is history of the oil industry, and that's fascinating. Sounds dull, right? But it's not. It's amazing. Okay. I recommend it. And that's really well written, because it's gripping. It's like a thriller. But also it's all true. Thriller. Sorry? A non-fiction thriller. Yeah. And the, a well-written non-fiction book is like a thriller. Tom Holland is really good at that. One of my favourite non-fictions is, is Rubicon by Tom Holland. He's a wonderful writer. And I've got a few of his stacked up, ready to read. Uh, who else? What other non-fiction have I read lately? Oh, I read a very good book called Death in Florence, okay. which is about the Medici family and uh, Friar Savonarola in Florence in the 15th century. So you're very well read. I wouldn't say well read. No, I just like different subjects. I don't tend to read biographies. I like okay. the histories of things and subjects and <clears throat> areas. And I don't know why biographies don't appeal to me. Until you write your own? I, I don't think I'll write... To, but the problem would be if I ever sat down to write my own autobiography, mm. I would, within a line, be making stuff up. <laughs> Is that not like half half the appeal of doing a biography? That would be of... all the appeal. That would be the only reason <laughs> that I would do it. Would be just to make stuff Lie. up. Yeah. Yeah. Or to put stuff in there that isn't made up that people would assume is made up. Okay. I'd put that in as well. Just and to... wash it all together. And then what's the point of calling it an autobiography? You might as well call it a novel. Because all my novels cr contain things that are true about me anyway. Mm. It's just you don't realise it. Okay. <laughs> Does this refer back to the code we spoke about off mic? <laughs> uh, not specifically but yeah there are codes in it that's just there for fun really and for my own entertainment and because that's the kind of books that they are they're spy thrillers and if you're writing a spy thriller and you don't take the opportunity to put some codes in to Jerry code in yeah yeah then you've missed an opportunity <laughs> fair enough um, you've allowed the voice to use one of your um, songs great yeah for the podcast um, at time of recording, I still haven't quite made my mind up about which one I want to use. Okay. But um, I thought we could talk about the potential candidates. Brilliant. Um, the Travelling Songman yeah. is the first one. What kind of what's that about? The Travelling Songman was an interesting example of a different way to write a song, actually. I was on my way to a school event where I was talking about books, but they'd also asked me to give a little concert in the evening, a sort of singer-songwriter type thing and I thought it would be fun to have a new song to play to them Yeah, and I had about an hour on the train so I challenged myself and thought well I'm going to write a new song now and I got a notebook out and started writing the lyrics and this is an example of writing a song or starting writing a song away from the instrument mm. and that meant that I took the melody in different directions and in my head I had a rough kind of plan for how the tune was going to go and how the harmony would sound and I wrote all of the lyrics all of the verses, middle eight, everything. 
and then when I got to the school I had a rough idea of the tune and the harmony I worked out what that was on the piano, bashed it out, I changed a couple of things I uh, yeah I think I tweaked the lyrics and changed things, I had a bit of time in between the school event and the concert to redo certain things in it but pretty much that whole song was written in an hour yeah I mean most songs are written in an hour, if you can't write a song in an hour then write something else. It's like a story. If you can't pitch a story in 10 minutes, then it's not worth telling. You've got to be able to tell your whole story in 10 minutes, I think. Whatever the story is, the essence of it. And if you can't, then you don't know your story well enough. And you need to work on it more and plan it more. Fair enough. So a song is the same. You can get the essence of a song down and get it 90% there or more in an hour. And then, as I said, after that, I bashed out the details and tweaked bits of it and had the song ready to play at that concert that evening and I really like it it's the first song on, on my album The Travelling Songman actually this would probably be a good opportunity to plug said album so Travelling Songman volume no yeah, it's, the... not, it's not at all is it it's Songman and Me yeah the, the album's called The Songman and Me volume 1 I plan to do volume 2 at some point um, and it's available on all the usual music outlets if you want to get it uh, cheapest then do it through my website and there's a Bandcamp page Joe Craig Bandcamp page and there's a link to that on my main website joecraig.co.uk and you can hear all the songs for free you can stream them and I think you can download a couple of them for free and if you want to get the album you can or just pick which songs you like what were the other songs Um, the other songs I was going to do was the uh, romantic song romantic song is the cheesiest love song you could possibly imagine and that was deliberate I just sat down to write an overly cheesy romantic song (laughs) so it's called romantic song um, let me think about yeah and that's it it's sort of shamelessly cheesy and romantic just a big cheesy I was thinking of people like Barry Manilow I think when I wrote that and Barry Manilow? yeah he just writes these brilliant big cheesy love songs he's a great songwriter um, yeah I like it it's fun it's nice actually going back to Travelling Songman I've just realised there's a bit in Travelling Songman which is a good example of where I played something by mistake on the piano and it ended up being a very nice moment that I that I liked and kept in um, and I, I like the in Romantic Song I like the middle eight that's one of my favourite things there are two more the first one is Faithful Friend Faithful Friend is a quotation I think something to do with Mozart I can't remember the details now when I wrote the song I did um but there was a... <laughs> you were not you meant to be like, yeah, this song is like about yeah. There was an inscription either to Mozart or by Mozart, and it just said, "Never forget." It said actually, "Don't never forget your faithful friend," which is an interesting thing. Don't never forget your faithful friend. I like the way it was phrased. I couldn't quite pull that sentence off in a song because no one would understand the context. So I just made it, "Never forget your faithful friend." And I've always wanted there to be different lyrics to Old Lang Syne. Mm. So that's what Faithful Friend is. And eventually, I want it to take over from Old Lang Syne as what people sing at New Year's Eve. Because it's, it's just better words than Old Lang Syne. I don't even know Old Lang Syne, so... Well, okay, there you go. It's the it's... tune of Faithful Friend. Yeah. And it was quite fun doing a harmonisation of it and a, a reharmonization of it for the second time round. Yeah, so it's such a short, simple... Song with a, a simple but heartfelt feel and concept behind it. We're going to get one where there's like some 
deep story to it. Uh, but the last one is The Songman Speaks. The Songman Speaks mm. is an instrumental. Yep. And I started to write more instrumentals when I started writing books. Don't know why. Maybe it was to do with the lyrics or the words and my wordiness being taken up by writing books. My wordiness. Or just feeling like I wanted to write something that was a bit more musically complex. And the more complicated you make the music, the simpler you've got to make the lyrics. So if you go off a scale and make it really complex, then cut the lyrics all together and just do an instrumental. I've written a few instrumentals that I, that I really like of my own, just a fun to play. And it's a piano playing challenge as well, because I'm not the world's most magnificent piano player. But if you're doing an instrumental, I think you've got to play it a bit better. You've got to work out how you're going to harmonise things, how you're going to voice certain things and play it as well as you can. So the Songman Speaks, the ending of the Songman Speaks has always troubled me because the way that I wrote it, it pretty much just goes round on an eternal loop structurally, the way the key changes work. It just keeps going round or keeps going on to the next key and then ends up where it started. But if I did that, it would be a never-ending piece of music. So the ending is something that I'm not entirely satisfied with, if I'm honest. And I never quite cracked the solution of how to handle that. It's just a bit too obvious, because I'm very pleased with all of the harmonic transitions up to that point, and then there's a bit at the end that I think just, yeah, it's a bit too obvious, a bit too... Yeah, sometimes it's good to have something obvious. Okay, so do you have a preference about which one is used? Well, the choice is Travelling Songman, Romantic Traveling Song. Travelling Songman, Romantic Song, Faithful Friend, Faithful Friend Old Man Speaks. And the, no, the song sorry, Old Man Speaks. Oh, <laughs> song, song Man Speaks. speaks. Don't use the Song Man Speaks, because that's instrumental. Yep. And it's a bit more reflective. Uh, Faithful Friend is shorter, so that might suit your purposes. You'll get more of it in before you have to fade it out. Um, I will put the whole thing in. Oh, cool. Put the whole thing um, in. We use like a little section at the beginning, just to sort of like lead into the yeah. podcast, and then we'll put the whole song at the end. So you have... You have the choice of a whole song. If there's another song on the album you'd rather use, then... No, use one of those. That's great. I'd be delighted if you'd use Monkey those. Tree would be... Monkey Tree is an obvious choice. That's the most upbeat, most catchy. <laughs> Strangest song that I've written. <laughs> is there a story behind it? The story behind Monkey Tree yeah. is that I improvised the chorus when I picked up a guitar once just to entertain some, some people. Uh, and then... Took a, actually, took a long time to then come up with the verses... I just had this chorus because this chorus is really simple it's only two chords it's just C and D minor and I just go from one to the other because I'm a very basic guitar player <laughs> but then I play it on the piano and, mm. and built up everything else around it I like that no, there's a play on words in the middle eight of Monkey Tree that no one's ever commented on but I like it that I'm living out on a limb and it's like well you're a monkey in a tree so you're you're on a limb it's like is that not probably not worth commenting on <laughs> that's the kind of thing that pleases me in a song it's the little things I, yeah well we could use monkey tree if you like no use, one, use whichever know, one you I'm, like I don't mind I'm really which one's I'm shortest like... let's not prolong the torture I don't know <laughs> which one's shortest Faithful Friend is shortest okay, I'd okay, use okay. I'd use Faithful Friend or, or if you want something really cheesy use Romantic Song that'll put everyone in a good mood yeah Faithful Friend is a little bit wistful mm, this is true um 
So you recorded this album on your own. We're now back to music. Back to music, great. This, this is structured as ever. That's good. Um, Sorry, <laughs> you can cut it together so yeah, it appears structured um, afterwards. Never, Retrospective. Never going to do that, yeah. <laughs> I haven't edited stuff from last year, to be fair. <laughs> so, back to music. Um, you just recorded this album on your own. Well, not on your own, so to speak, but without record labels or... Yeah, that yeah, I didn't thing. do it. I wanted to, to do something... It was the first time that I'd done something just for me when I was writing music. Before, it was always for a specific project or for other people to sing, for a musical theatre or a show mm. or some kind of other act that that I uh, was going to give it to to record or whoever it was. This was the first time I'd ever approached something specifically as a singer-songwriter. And knowing that I'm not the world's greatest singer and never will be, but kind of wanting to follow in the tradition of people like Randy Newman, Jimmy Webb, Billy Joel, who are wonderful songwriters and who are just fantastic to hear and see perform their own material. And I wanted to evoke James Taylor as well. Again, these people who who perform their own material beautifully and there's something about the way they do it that no matter how good or bad you think their voices are, and I think they are good singers, they interpret their own songs so well. And I wanted to try to get some of that mood across, particularly by doing it with just me and a piano. Nothing else. No backing vocals, no mm. anything. Strings. And that's quite an unusual way of doing it. There's a Randy Newman album where he does that and just reinterprets some of his hits and some of his old songs just with him and a piano. And He did that when he was slightly older. So his voice is, is fantastic on that. And the way he interprets the song is, yeah. is brilliant. Uh, there's an early Billy Joel album where he uh, just performs it mainly with just piano and vocals, but I think then there's some strings on the top. And I think, um, yeah, that's the album where a couple of tracks at least were then mastered at the wrong speed. Billy Joel. Yeah, he's just a great songwriter. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's beautiful song. Yeah. It's so nice. That's one of the later ones, isn't it? I think, I think. so. I'm literally yeah, only just delving yeah. into him. Well, he's wonderful. Uh, so I wanted to do something like that, which meant that I could approach the whole thing differently than if I was writing for other people. And I, I just did it for my own enjoyment. It, I never intended for it to be anything commercial or to... I, I never had aspirations of getting it to, to labels or anything like that. I just wanted to write it and record it myself. I was very lucky to meet a really talented engineer who could come around and turn my home into a recording studio and engineer it all for me. And it was really fun to do, and I'm pleased I did it. And I'd like to do it again at some point. Plan to? Yeah. When? Dates? Uh, I've got to do another book first. Got to do another one. Yeah, I've got to do books another first. Another Jimmy Coates book. Uh, well, there's an eighth Jimmy Coates book that I'm not working on at the moment because I'm working on something else. But that'll come out at some point, I hope, mm. once I get a chance to write it. I'm working on another thriller first. So I want to get a, a different thing off the ground before I finish off Jimmy Coates. Okay. So Jimmy Coates' book ends at eight. Yes. So next one is... The, the next one, one will be the last one, Jimmy Coates' Genesis. Genesis. Um, don't don't hold your breath for it because I haven't I, finished writing I won't, it yet. Because I'm fairly sure the last one took. Yeah, the last one took a couple five of years. years? Five oh, not seven? five. No, it was quite a while. Um, it was quite. It was. It was. Maybe three years after it was due out, it came out. Due to come out. Yeah. But like in between that period. Yeah. When you were writing it, that's like another year, two years, isn't it? Yeah, but I'd written it already. Oh. It was already finished. I wrote it in six months. I'm not a slow writer. No, no, you write 2,000 words a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
I remember I remember now from the last um, interview where you said that publishers hold books back, don't they? To yeah, those friends they can times. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I that's not what happened with, with Blackout. But well, anyway, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a whole complex. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other. Then other every discussion. time it's just amazingly ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I also remember you hadn't started writing Jimmy Coates at all last year. That I hadn't started writing the last book. Oh, I it, I haven't got any further on it than I had a couple of years ago and I've written it's all planned out so the plot mm. is all done and I've written about a third of a first draft okay so it wouldn't take that long to finish it I would need to reread all of the old Jimmy Coates books <laughs> to refresh my memory about what's meant to happen and don't say details. that don't say that <laughs> well because it's simply all planned because meticulously it's all, because it is all planned yes. meticulously that I would have to reread it because there are details in the earlier books mm. that were planted for the plot of the final book. It was planned that meticulously. That meticulously. So there's things in the first scenes of the first book that are uh, clues for the plot of the final book. You don't have to read them in order. Obviously, mm. I need. I just need to reference them when I write the final book. Yeah. And make sure it's all exactly the same and the setup is right. So things in Jimmy's house, for example, or things, um, the, the layout of that. So I need to reread those early books just to make sure that in... Because sometimes it's something simple as I have it... My, in my head a certain way and that's the way I wrote the first draft but then through an edit it got tweaked mm-hmm. and a little detail has changed so I need to reread it to work out how things are in the final versions of the books yeah. that are out there and I'm not working on some earlier, earlier idea incarnation or, or, or version yeah okay um, so you've got another project on the go yeah at the moment are you able to talk about it at all <clears throat> uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a yeah. word about it one word. Yeah. Steady on. <laughs> I'll give you a word yeah. about what I'm writing about. Ninja. Ninja. That's my word. Yeah. I'm writing about a ninja. Okay. That's that's pretty much all you're going to get. You can try, but that's basically all you're going to get out of me. Fiction I'm writing or non-fiction? It's, I'd love to say that it's non-fiction, okay. but I'm writing my own real-life adventures as a ninja. Yes. Sadly, that's not true. I'm, I'm <laughs> As writing... Our day's work is getting dressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, a day when I put on socks is a day when I've worked hard. Yes. I'm writing a kids' thriller. God, I don't want to call it a kids' thriller. It's just a thriller to me. Mm-hmm. Teen, YA, middle grade, 8 to 13, whatever it is. I'm writing a thriller about a ninja. Okay. In... But it's a bit different from what you expect. It's, yeah. I'm quite, I like the idea. And I've got a brilliant title, which I can't tell you. Is he? Is it a Western set story? Is it set in like England or? It's mainly set in England. Okay, so modern day, modern day, ninja. Partially, maybe. Partially modern. I'm not going to give you anything away. Not going to give you anything. Not going to give it away. Just you know, it's, anything. It's uh, a story about a ninja. Okay. But yeah. It occupies one of your pin-up boards at the minute. Yes, and yesterday I took down a different story from my pin-up board, and I'm going to... This is very dull, and just <laughs> the, the housekeeping of writing a story. I'm going to transfer my ninja story from my middle pin board to my left-hand pin board, kind of bumping it up the priority. Okay. So that it's right behind me when I write, and I can yeah, turn around. Right it's bigger as well. You. My left-hand pin board is the biggest one. Okay. So I can stretch out and plan things properly on that. So your three pin boards at the minute, you've got your ninja story, which you're not telling us anything about. Yep. You've, and then what else? There's one that I took down. The one that I took down yesterday was the... Uh, the old screenplay idea and then the third one so I want to make space for a new screenplay that's why I've done it but I need to change the pinboards over so I've got another one to work on that's going to go on my middle pinboard where the ninja is at the minute and the right hand pinboard is 
a story that I was starting to map out with another writer who I really like, and we were working on a story together, but we put that on hold while she works on oh. some other really exciting stuff, and while I get my ninja story done. Okay. She's I, great. M.G. Harris. M.G. Harris. I met her. She's lovely. Yeah, she's fantastic. So she's working on some really exciting uh, story stuff that she launched through Kickstarter mm. and now has a, it is going to be through a mainstream publisher as well, um, through the Jerry Anderson, the guy behind Thunderbirds, before he died, had sort of story concepts for other things and she's developing those and writing those as action-adventure oh, books. Cool. How does that process work, like where you start writing under somebody else's name? Do you just... Like, yeah. So how? Like, I don't really know. I haven't done it. Write, you've never done it. Yeah, you I'd like to. Okay. I think it'd be quite fun. And I've got friends who've done it. That being one example. Uh, I think generally it's. It depends whose name it is. Sometimes if it's a big name, you need to pitch mm. your services for it. So you need to write samples. Of the story that, and how you show how you would write it, and then they select you. And there's a whole process of selecting which writer it's going to be. Um, who's they in that instance is this the um, rights holders or the yeah the people, of the, the people who hold the rights okay. whoever it is that's decided to create new books under this person's name sometimes the person's still alive I think Wilbur Smith last year decided to work with new writers oh to, to create stories under his name James Patterson does that as well there's all kinds of books coming out under James Patterson's name and he acknowledges that he works with other writers sometimes and it says it on the front of the book mm. that it's a James Patterson book with so and so okay so it's sort of more like a stamp of approval yeah yeah or a sort of brand or that he's come up with the concept and the idea and someone else has done the, the bit of work that's actually just the writing it so, on yeah. the page okay would you ever so in that kind of situation would you rather be the brand name or would you rather be the person writing which do you think you'd Enjoy I think I would enjoy more coming up with the concepts and planning out stories and then somebody else doing the hard graft of actually putting the words down on the page to tell the story mm -hmm. and then I might do a rewrite or edit it or just okay. tweak it that's probably what I'd do so I'd be more involved than a dead author well yeah <laughs> but, uh, any sort of input would probably yeah more yeah. Um, I would quite like that because I, I tend to come up with story concepts more quickly than I can write right. a book and I can plan out a story and flesh out the plot in, uh, in a way that I find quite exciting. I like that process. I like the problem solving mm. and the structuring it. And then sometimes actually sitting down to write it is painful because writing is hard. <laughs> so and you know that the first thing you're writing is just a bad version of it. You have this wonderful vision of this amazing thing you're going to write and then you've got to sit down and write it dreadfully before you can ever write it well. And that's sometimes frustrating. But would you enjoy sort of having a degree of that creative process taken away from you while somebody else writes it? Or do you think that they would ever be able to meet your vision of what the book was? Although I do remember you saying that there's no perfect version of a book. Sure, yeah. You must have more. They would do it differently to me, I'm sure. Um, it depends what sort of thing it is. Oh, I'd be quite happy for somebody else to write it. I, I'm happy to acknowledge that there are some brilliant writers out there who can write wonderful stuff and if I came up with a story and gave it to them they'd do it really well I'm sure they'd, they'd have different strengths to me mm -hmm. um, I have a particular way of doing things they might have their particular way of doing things but who's to say one's better than the other Fair enough 
who would you potentially like to work with? Because obviously you were collaborating with um, N.G. Harris, which I thought last time we spoke wasn't meant to be being really discussed. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Do I have to edit Well, she's working on other stuff now, okay, so yeah. that's fine. I mean, cool. we, might, we might come back to do that. Am I going to have to edit this out? No, it's fine. You asked uh, me if it was on my pinboard, so yeah. that's one of the stories that was up there. Okay, cool. I was working out the plot for that. So M.G. Harris was one. Who else would you like to work with? I know you're friends with Anthony Horowitz. Uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm friends with Anthony friends? Horowitz. I, I have met Anthony Horowitz. Oh, no, you're meant to say yeah. Um, <laughs> good old chums. I think he's wonderful. He's he's fantastic, and I I don't know whether he does collaborate with other writers in that way. Mm. Maybe at some point he will if he farmed out the, for example, if he wanted there to be another Alex Ryder book, but he didn't want to write it, he might do that kind of thing. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. And he's an interesting one because he's written. He's sort of taken on other other properties. Yes. He's done new Sherlock Holmes books. Uh, but I think he's a brilliant writer. I, I think one of the best things he's done is Foil's War. I think he's absolutely a, a wonderful writer. Uh, and to have done two such amazing things, Alex Ryder and Foil's War, in different media, is, is brilliant. Um, I did, a few years ago, I collaborated briefly with Andy Briggs, who is another brilliant writer. We were working on the beginnings of a movie project that unfortunately didn't go anywhere, but it was really fun working with him yet. Yeah. He has great story ideas. Was this the superhero movie? No, this was something different. Oh, right, okay. This was something that, that didn't get off the ground in the end, not through any fault of, of me or Andy, but just because that's the way the movie industry works sometimes. Mm. And some of the ideas that I was coming up with to put forward for that, I then took and turned into my short book, Lifters. But Andy Briggs was fun to work with. Who else have I worked with? I haven't actually collaborated in that way with many other writers that I can remember. There's, there's people that I would happily work with I'm friends with lots of mm. other writers Any names? I, well it depends who sometimes working with someone is, is very different to being friends with them so I don't know how that <laughs> yeah. would go uh, that's very fair to say but there are writers that I <laughs> admire that I think are just brilliant and I would happily jump on board with any project they came up with and, and presented to me Anthony McGowan Barry Hutchison uh, Andy Stanton Tommy Dombavand um, all brilliant people uh, Holly Smale that would be a great collaboration. We'd have fun together. Uh, all sorts of people like that. Just, I'm sure I've forgotten loads of people. Marianne Levy, who I think is a brilliant, funny writer. We could do something wonderful together. Um, but it's tough when you're friends that you don't really want to just then take on a work thing with them necessarily because yeah. it would be weird. Also, you're doing your own thing. So why do that? Also, if you collaborate with someone, you have to split the royalties. Oh. That's, that's a pain. <laughs> so you don't want to do that. But... Um... Actually, yeah, we're sort of moving into the other area I was going to touch upon. Um, so with royalties, first of all, yes, are they um, in the book industry or the writing industry, are they as unfair as many would argue they are in the music industry? The big difference in the music industry is, that you, is the way the advance is handled. So in the book industry, when they pay me in advance, as long as I deliver the book, I keep the advance. Mm. In the music industry, the traditional setup was slightly different that the advance was the money used to pay for everything. So you, the artist doesn't necessarily get the advance. So they could call something a million pound advance, mm. but that doesn't mean the artist gets a million pounds. It means the million pounds is then used to produce their stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that basically goes back to them. Back to the... Um, yes, back to the, to the whoever's doling out the money. Yes. And <clears throat> handling stuff. Sometimes the artist will get a new guitar out of that, but maybe not much more. Yeah. With the book industry, the... The numbers are lower, but it's kind of more open and and honest. I I think the whole advance, the system of getting an advance against royalties, is 
funny really because ultimately it should depend on how many books you sell but sometimes the amount of support that a book gets the amount of buzz that it generates just depends on the size of the advance in what sense? in the sense that you can turn that into publicity in itself and that once a publisher has made that initial investment they have to follow it yeah. up by supporting the book otherwise they look like idiots because they're the ones who decided to fork out that money in the first place mm. and if the book doesn't sell enough to earn out the advance then, then they've made mistakes Yes. and sometimes actually you could make more money from a book if you just had a small advance and then made the same fuss about it and then you'd is this the publisher or the um, author oh either way either way yeah I mean personally I would rather have bigger royalties than yeah. bigger advances because my plan is to sell lots of books yes I don't want to take a big advance and then never run out I want to have a bigger chunk of the, of the money of, of a bigger royalty yeah. and then work really hard to sell those books make it the best book that I can possibly make it and then have that rewarded by higher sales and get the get the rewards for that get the royalty checks yeah. In every yeah but it's a very odd system that we've developed where we expect authors and musicians are earning millions or they should earn millions and most aren't but then there's a sort of expectation that they should and that's weird isn't it is it don't you think it's weird that someone who tells a story can become a multi-millionaire? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's As a good priority. To what? Um, someone who heals people. Someone who, I don't know, fights for their country. That's like, it's a, a weird system of priorities. Someone who plays the guitar quite well and sings a nice song can become a multi-millionaire. And that's great. And I think it's good to reward the arts and have that as a wonderful cultural thing but people would still do it if they were just well off well you'd hope yeah I mean yeah. you know if, if the very wealthiest musicians were just quite well off or the very very wealthiest authors were just well I suppose what I'm saying is more equality between the very top and the very bottom so you didn't have any good authors who were penniless and struggling and the very but you also didn't have any authors who were Billionaires. If you kind of just squished everyone into the middle, I think you'd have a richer. I don't know how you do that, but you'd have a sort of. <laughs> God, this almost sounds like richer a policy. Literary actually. life. No, I'm just thinking that it's, if you sit and think about it, well, don't you think it's odd that the, the, the things that have ended up through historical quirk being really highly rewarded? Well, what you can't, what you mentioned as um, examples, whereby uh, people who heal and people who fight in wars, they're all more governmental controlled whereas the um, musicians and authors so to speak they are they're creative and they are almost more capitalized mm -hmm. or commercialized so um, surely that's more a fault of the government for not prioritizing more investment in one area or another well I don't think well it, it's you can't blame the government for not being able to pay a nurse what Mick Jagger gets paid it's just a weird quirk of the way our culture has evolved and the society works and the economics of each of these industries. You're right, they have totally different economic models, so of course they're going to be different. And a musician or a writer is selling a product, like Heinz sell beans. Mm. So th there's obviously going to be a difference in the way someone is paid, but because of the different systems in the way someone is paid, it means that the ceiling on what someone can end up getting paid is much, much higher. Yeah. It also means the bottom is much, much lower. 
because you could get absolutely nothing. Mm, but like beans, for example, can't be pirated. So that's interesting. Beans can't be pirated. Beans can be pirated. They can be stolen. Well, you could yeah, in, you could slap shop. a pirate Heinz label on a tin of beans. Do people do that? Do people pirate beans? They probably like three D printed them out now. They... <laughs> so <laughs> you probably could pirate beans and have fake Heinz. I bet there is somewhere in the world. There probably is. Yeah, actually. it's not quite such a problem for the bean industry, I imagine, as it is for the music industry or the publishing industry. Let's not downplay it, though. Come on. Let's not downplay <laughs> it. Yeah. Let's not downplay it because. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so like the creative um, sector is still quite fragile, I think, in the same way. Like, at least with a nurse or a soldier, you are guaranteed to be paid something. Yeah. Whereas, like, obviously, you have to train and work ridiculously hard, and the payoff is arguably not um, financially as. Um, beneficial as maybe the intrinsic value whereas like an artist could um work ridiculously hard and still have all the same sort of um training and life experience but get paid nothing for it and so i think maybe that the rewards and the risks of that are slightly higher although fighting for your country i think that is the ultimate risk isn't it so i don't know yeah i don't know it's interesting <laughs> do you have any solutions then how would you change it how would I change it? Yes. Are you going to suggest a sort of socialist <laughs> utopia? or? Um, I don't know if I've got the energy to change it today. Today I just <laughs> you put, put your so, socks on. I Come put on. so this much is, energy into putting my socks on. This is productivity. That I'm not sure I have you the energy the today, today to, to, to changing things. You should have asked me that at the beginning of the interview. Yeah. We didn't get to it. We didn't get to it. And I, yeah. Um, just one, like... Shooting the clouds, one idea that's going to change everything. What are you going to do? How are you going to smush everyone together? Government policy, government rules and regulations, or just appealing for people? I think government, governments are generally idiots, voted for by bigger idiots. Soundbite. The rest of us. Yep. <laughs> We're all just idiots, and that's why democracy is balls. <laughs> I can see you're being so careful now. Um, yeah, I didn't know whether to say balls or not. But it was the right word. The right word at the right time. Mm, well, you're talking to a politics student. Yeah. And I concur, so... Right, well, there you go. That solves everything. Just have like, a massive dictatorship. <clears throat> yeah, run by me. Run by... Mm. And a panel of... Who? Experts chosen by me. Chosen by you. Yeah. So... Wise people. Who? Okay, who would you have in your panel of experts that's going to solve the world crisis? Clever people. I just get the smartest people. Based on and then one idiot. scale? On my scale. Your scale? Yeah, I'd yeah. interview them and look at their achievements and thoughts and philosophies. Mm. Mm. Well, this sounds people from all over the world as well. It's too much just British people. It's people from everywhere have different ideas and okay. get them involved. Get them Do involved. that, yeah. I see. Well, there we go. We can look forward to that. Cool. Thanks very much. This has been really fun. <laughs> At the end of your book, end of your writing career, we'll just have you taking over. Well, that's the plan. The world. Yeah, that that's the plan. that's obviously where we're all heading. Okay. Cool. Um, on a typical day, mm -hmm. what is your sort of working process like for writing? Because you say you write two thousand words a day. What sort of process do you go through? Yeah, I don't always manage to write two thousand words a day. If I do, that's brilliant. 
I tend to spend the mornings not trying to write. Uh, I spend, tend, tend to spend the mornings doing all the dull admin-y stuff that comes up when you're a writer that everybody has. Emails and online stuff. and uh, But then I'll try to read or I'll watch a movie. And the more reading I do, the better my writing goes. And then nice long lunch. Then sleeping off the nice long lunch. Okay. And then I generally get down to any kind of effective work in the middle of the afternoon or towards the end of the afternoon. And on in the ideal working week, I don't have to get up the next day. I can carry on the next day writing. So that means I can break my working day with dinner and carry on working late into the evening. And those are my peak writing hours. And then do the same the next day. This all gets disrupted if I have an event on, because that means I have to get up in the morning. Mm. So I'll um, not be able to write so late. So I'll have to shift things earlier. Okay. So you have... You get up, you have breakfast, presumably. Yeah, big on breakfast. Big, on big breakfast. fan of breakfast. <laughs> big on breakfast. You sit on Facebook and Twitter and reply to some emails. Yeah, I don't I don't sit on me. Facebook and Twitter. I dip As into me. Facebook and yes. Twitter throughout the day, doing... which oh, isn't entirely healthy. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, you have... Yeah, I never spend much time in one go. Uh, my, or half a film. Half a film. Really over lunch. lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Eat lunch. Go to sleep. No, I don't actually go to sleep. Don't I'll, actually go to I'll sleep. either watch the other half of the film or I'll carry on reading or I'll do whatever else I need to do. Okay, and then you start in the afternoon yeah. to actually do some work. Yeah. I feel like there's a benchmark moment at three o'clock. Three? And if I haven't started by three in the afternoon, I probably should have, but I might not. So if, <laughs> if it gets to three o'clock and you haven't started, yeah. is the day then just... Then my next benchmark is six o'clock. Okay, right, right so well, you then give yourself another three hours to... Warm up times, and, yeah, yeah. Study, but of course you've got to think about when you're going to have tea. Right, and is that going to be at four, at four thirty, or at five? Are you going to do a bit of work and then have tea? Always a sensible idea because then you're getting started, getting warmed up. Or are you going to say, whatever, have tea and start after tea? That can work. Can work. That has worked for me in the past. Okay. Yeah. The important thing, the message coming out of all this. <laughs> Is that please, yeah, there's, different, yeah. there's different ways of doing it. Okay. Find what works for you. Other writers get up at five in the morning and work for three hours and then get on with the rest of their day. Other writers have full time jobs, so they have to fit it around that. Other writers have kids, so they have to take the kids to school, then come back and write. Yeah. Some people treat it as an office thing and are very disciplined and write from nine to five. Great. Some people like to go and work in the library, which relies on library opening hours. Mm. So you've got all kinds of other factors. But if you can find what works for your own creativity, then do that. Do that. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Joe. Absolute pleasure. We, Thanks for coming. Thank you. We can conclude by um, shamelessly plugging everything that you have on sale and um, yeah. If you'd available. like, if you'd like to read something I've written, if you think you'd like a good thriller, then check out one of the Jimmy Coates books. The latest one is Jimmy Coates Blackout, but pick up whichever one you like the look of. They're all available anywhere that you can get books and you can get signed ones through my website, joecraig.co.uk. And if you'd like to hear more of my music, then search for Joe Craig at any place they have music. And you can also hear it all through joecraig.co.uk or on the Joe Craig Bandcamp page as well. Cool. Uh, Joe can be tweeted at... At... At Joe, Joe Craig, Craig UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, not okay. at Joe Craig. Yeah. That's someone else. And he doesn't even tweet. He just has the account. You it's can, so annoying. I think you can contact Twitter can't you and ask can you work out it? how to do that for me I'll try and find out because I've no idea how to I tried and I just got baffled but if you want me it's at Joe Craig UK and that's the same for Instagram and Facebook cool well thank you Joe then cool and 
we'll probably speak to you again in like another year. Looking forward to it, whenever you like. Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Hi again, I hope you enjoyed that. I always think that Joe Craig is such an interesting person to talk to, and it's always such a shame that we really only like scrape the surface during these interviews and you can see that he starts to open up and start to talk more about his somewhat more unpublicized views at the end of the interview um maybe he does it deliberately to tease i don't know um yeah anyway at the beginning of the podcast i mentioned the arts award voice podcast which is a new um broadcast that i'm working on and this interview a small snippet of it went into the final um podcast for arts award and if you like art or if you like a name chat then it's definitely one that you should check out i mean this this month we spoke about um the impact of the fashion industry on um personal body image and the responsibility that the fashion industry has to sort of shake up its act and make sure that they are portraying females and males in a more responsible light and we also discussed children's illustrations and why there are no illustrations in adult literature, which was really actually quite interesting. Um, yeah, so you can find us on iTunes. There are two entries um, for the Arts Award Voice podcast, but we are the one that also has two episodes on it. So check that out. And the usual drill for this podcast, please, please, please go on iTunes and give us five stars because it helps me out no end. And um, leave a positive comment because positive comments are always awesome. Uh, share it with your friends if you're feeling really generous, share it with your enemies if you're feeling a little less generous but still want to spread the word. Uh, if you have any major burning criticisms then email me at podcast.tominis.com or you can tweet me which is just at Tominis. I welcome most correspondence. Um, yeah, not all. So <laughs> choose carefully what you're going to say. Um, yeah, otherwise thanks for listening and I will speak to you again at some point in the future. Bye.